racist. <laughs> well, hello there, Browns fans. Uh, welcome to uh, OBR Weekly for June 8th, 2021. My name is Barry McBride. I am a publisher and a tame web dork. And we're back again this week fishing in the Browns news barrel for scraps. But welcome to the show and we'll try to make the next hour interesting. Because there's not a lot of news, we're going to rely a lot on your questions and your topics in the chat room. Uh, as usual, I brought some things with me to talk about, but it's really your ideas and your questions which dominate your dominate the show, and that's what we want to react to. But first, I uh, want to say hi to the gentleman here. First off, Fred Breatham. How are you doing, Fred? Wonderful. Just, just went out for Buffalo Wild Wings, totally opened up and no mask, all kinds of good stuff, so... <laughs> All right. Good time was had by all. Uh, Lane, how are you doing, sir? Just another day in the ghetto plexus society. <laughs> yeah. That's a well, big I'm word, man. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, uh, glad to hear that you guys have made it through another week, uh, as have I. And uh, we're going to talk a little bit about the news um, as people gather for the show. Uh, and then we'll start going through questions. Um, since uh, we last talked, uh, Mr. Freddie Greetham, the legend, had a chance to attend OTAs on Wednesday where he was able to see what was going on for an hour. Uh, but the full roster wasn't there, particularly on the offensive side of the ball. So, Fred, uh, given the fact that you were looking mostly at uh, defense and then bubble players on offense – uh, what impressions did you come away with after watching that practice? Well, you had 55 guys there and you had one quarterback. So there really wasn't much uh, team work anyway, because they didn't really have much of an offense there. But I mean, my takeaway is I was impressed. There was nine defensive players that I feel will either be starters or you know, among the top rotation. And that's what's most important to me, not the offense right now. They, they, they're they all returning. The defense has all these new guys. The only, the only two returning are Denzel Ward and Miles Garrett. So you had Anthony Walker, Malik Jackson, um, Grant Delpit, Andrew Billings, Grady Williams, and then the two draft, JOK and Greg Newsom. So, I think John Johnson and Troy Hill are going to be there tomorrow. So that would right. be really Jadavian Clowney and Tack McKinley then, if they don't come, would be the only players that I would consider starters or in the rotation that haven't been there. Um, and that's, to me, what's most important is for Joe Woods to get his hands on these guys, get them indoctrinated in the defense. So when they hit training camp or even mini camp, next week that they're ready to go and so they come out of that ready to play and ready to hit the ground running in training camp because it's more important to be on field getting instruction than it is sitting in front of a computer and just talking about it so that's to me the biggest thing was having nine key players you know not discounting the rest of them but nine key defensive players at last week's OTAs. Right. And this week we expect, as, as you said, Fred, a few more defenders to come in uh, and, and practice during the OTAs. Lane, uh, we know that J.C. Treader has uh, made an issue about OTAs, but uh, NFLPA also wants, uh, you know, the, these mini camps to be remote, or at least that's what they, they were saying a little while ago. Mm -hmm. uh, what's your sense of, what the uh, uh, sort of the per percentage of players or starters that you expect to see there for mini camps? Well, the voluntary camps, like such as that we're in right now, you know, it's just hit or miss. I mean, you're going to have guys that need to be in there because they have to make an impression and they have to get working. And you got guys who have pretty much solidified their spot and they're not going to come into a uh, voluntary camp unless they really feel the need or if there's something to gain by it. You know, that's why you're seeing these guys working out by themselves on the side with the position groups and everything else. 
you know, when you get to the mandatory camp, that's when it's going to mean something. Let's find out to see, make sure everybody's in there, everybody's doing their work. But, you know, right now, the NFLPA, Players Association, they want to lighten the load. Teams want to make sure that the work gets done and everybody's in. So it's it's, it's pretty it's going to be a precarious thing to see how this thing goes forward. There's going to be a lot of give and take, and each side's going to end up having to give a little bit for this to happen in the, in the realm of what the NFLPA is looking for. Yeah, uh, I haven't heard much from them recently uh, in terms of adjusting their position, so it will be interesting to see next week. Uh, Second news item, uh, much of the team will be in Berea for this week's OTAs, but a group of offensive players will be in Texas working out with Baker Mayfield, and that includes wide receiver Odell Beckham Jr. Now, OBJ is emerging from rehab to work with the offense and attend a charity softball game. Uh, we haven't heard from these workouts about what individual players are doing, but Fred, let's start with you. Are you concerned about OBGA coming off this injury and uh, working out without, uh, you know, coaching slash medical supervision? Well, I think he's a big boy and he knows what he can and he can't do. Um, I I don't know if he's going to do a whole lot down there, but to me, it's a it's a really good step just if he's there just to be with the other guys because we heard it about his chemistry with Baker Mayfield and the rest of the offense and I think it's a step at least I'm perceiving it as a step that he wants to fit in he's hungry he saw what the team did without him last year and instead of you know taking the attitude of hey the diva perception is mm-hmm. fit in and do what is is the most necessary to to help this offense even get better not be a distraction but be another dimension and as far as the softball game hopefully he's just showing up to get you know a big a big uh cheer from the fans and, right. and just to yuck it up with the other guys i could not for the life of me, believe he would go out and try to play softball before he's even practiced or they even allow him to work out. If Kevin Stefanski, as as tough as he could make it last week, said, Miles Garrett's done monkeying around with basketball, he didn't say anything about softball. But Mm. I have to think that he would definitely, when he saw that, he would get on the horn and say, come on, man, you know, or the trainers or something, you know. That just makes no sense to me. Showing up, yeah, playing, that's another thing. Right. So, Lane, uh, we've all seen the uh, uh, OBJ workouts on Instagram. Um, uh, As Norman points out in the chat, uh, he uh, he certainly looks good in those workouts. Um, And we've actually seen him do a little bit of cutting in those workouts. What's your sense of where – OBJ is, and same question as as Fred, are you concerned about all this extracurricular activity we're starting to see from him? Well, it's nothing that we haven't talked about uh, eight weeks out from the surgery when he was in the top two percentile of his rehab, which continued on through the process of where he's at now. I mean, it's it's nothing that we don't know, we haven't talked about. There's nothing hidden here. I mean, the guy is an exceptional physical specimen who has worked very hard to get where he is. And he remains just way, well above where he should be right now and where he's at. You know, and the thing comes down to is that you don't want to do anything to derail that progress. That's why, yeah, it's good that he showed up in Austin. He's there with the guys. Everybody's working out. And I'm sure he's going to he's gonna do a little bit, but it's not going to be anything crazy. It's, it's not anything that we didn't expect. He was expected to go there when the, all these guys decided they were going to get together. So it's not a big right. deal. Same thing with right. this softball game. You know, show up, you know. Be there, you know, he may horse around a little bit, but, you know, there's also some ramifications of a guy coming off of an injury, a significant injury that could be contractual if he does do something and something would right. happen. So, you know, it's, it's not an expectation that you're going to see Odell Beckham doing much of anything until he actually gets in house here and we get into the, into the summer months. I mean, he'll show up for mandatory camp and he'll go through all the process. But besides that, it's good OBJ's in the house with his guys. Yeah. Get us to late July and then we'll start. All right. Well, if you guys aren't worried, I'm not worried. Uh, and we'll move on to the next item. Uh, Greg Newsom, 
Uh, First-round draft pick of the Cleveland Browns at number 26, cornerback from Northwestern, has dropped his agent, and he has to wait a couple of days to hire a new one. Uh, Lane, I'll go to you first. Do you have any concern at all about this situation, or is this a big nothing? It's a big nothing. I mean, he's pretty much slotted what he's going to get. Mm-hmm. Be anything that changes, it's not going to matter who the agent is. It's not going to matter when he did it. It's just this is a procedural thing. It's going to go through with the process of the waiting period, and then he'll get inked, and we'll just go forward from there. Again, another non-issue, non-story surrounding the Cleveland Browns. All right, that's what we like. You know, we like non-stories about the Cleveland Browns during the off-season. We, uh, we don't like off-the-field issues and stories like that. Last year, we didn't hear a lot of off-the-field stories um, during the, uh, the off-season. I hope this year goes the same. Uh, Fred, um, I want to reference an article that you wrote this week about the wide receiver position. Uh, you are taking a look at the expectations and how the team did last year as well in your earlier article. Um, one of the things that, that gets me is I've seen uh, this wide receiver core, I wouldn't say disrespected, but looked on by national pundits as being sort of mediocre. You know, I saw one review of the Browns wide receiver core as being the 13th best in the league, which is pretty much right in the middle, you know, just a little bit higher than, than being in the middle. And, uh, you know, uh, Landry and Odell Beckham uh, are uh, uh, listed as, you know, potentially core players, uh, you know, and, and there've been comparisons about the top duos at wide receiver in the league, and they're not placing all that high. Uh, I just wonder, you know, do you think that that's fair or accurate? Uh, at this point, uh, do you think that this group still has something to prove? Well, I think that the biggest thing is most of these national writers and, and analysts, they look at it through the prism of fantasy football numbers. And, you know, on pure talent, Landry and Beckham are still, you know, in my opinion, one of the top four or five duos. Landry had a subpar year. He had the second worst year of his career. And uh, he usually goes over a thousand yards every year. He was hurt some, but he did play. Um, missed the one game to COVID. But I think that in this offense, you're going to have sub numbers, I think, you know, because because Stefanski doesn't throw the ball, you know, overly. He likes to control the game on the ground. Austin Hooper's another example. He had subpar numbers. Um, but when you're looking at the the composite, all the pieces together, it was an effective offense. So Beckham, you can't really judge it because he only played seven games, but he had the second, numbers-wise, the second worst year of his career. I wrote mm-hmm. in my projection, I expect both of them to bounce back. I expect one of them to have a really big year. I don't know which one it'll be, but I have a suspicion it's going to be Beckham just because he is getting a lot of doubters and people constantly talking about him being just an average receiver. And what happened last year on the field once he went down, there's no question the offense took off. And I felt maybe that was because the pressure was off Mayfield, subliminally not trying to get him the ball all the time. But I think there was also a, a factor that Mayfield understood the defense a lot more by the end of the year. And he also understood the offense system. And I think coming back in that system, he's going to be much more much more uh, ready to go. And I don't think he's going to just focus in on Beckham because he knows what the offense did without him. And I don't think mm-hmm. he's going to feel that I got to throw the ball 10 times a game to him or he's going to be mad at me. Right, right. Um, Lane, uh, what's your opinion on uh, this wide receiver duo and the wide receiver core as as a whole? Uh, do you think that uh, they could probably be ranked higher if they were in a different offensive system? Uh, or do you think that they still have something to prove? 
Well, I think they have something to prove just because of what happened in 2020. You know, OBJ blowing an ACL, Jarvis Landry having a subpar year, and looking at a wide receiver corner receiving game, which, you know, they were vertically challenged and have a lot of speed, so the field was squeezed on them. So the mm-hmm. opportunities to actually get down the field and make plays, you know, especially for a guy like Landry, that who that is and what he does, is you know, it's going to be questionable. You hope OBJ comes back healthy, you add Swartz, you get speed. You know, suddenly the field the field becomes wider, becomes bigger. You're able to work underneath, which is going to help Landry and Austin Hooper. You know, the, the opportunity to roll defenses and coverage is going to help a guy like OBJ when you got another speed guy on the other side. You know, so the opportunity is there for them to be much better than what, you know, somebody hasn't projected as 9-0-13, you said. You know, to me, all that kind of stuff is nonsense because there's there's too many unanswered questions about what's going to happen within the schematics of what this offense is going to be in health. So you know, right now it's a, it's a crapshoot. You expect right, them to get right. back to if they get back to their health, you expect them to be productive. Well, those ranking articles sure pull page views. I can say that uh, in terms of how valid they are, you have to wait until there's actual football being played to uh, go back and argue whether or not they're accurate in the slightest. One of the things you, you mentioned, Anthony Schwartz, um, I've seen Jojo Natson sort of thrown into the same group as him. Of course he was injured last year as guys who could stretch the field. Mm-hmm. And I've often seen fans refer to uh, Donovan Peoples Jones as a guy who can stretch the field. Do you uh, agree with that? Do you think DPJ is one of those sort of guys, or uh, do you think you need a, a pure speedster like Schwartz to do the trick? Who are you asking? You, sir, Mr. Atkins. Well, you know, DPJ, he's more of a, he's more of a long speed guy. He's not a quick speed guy. He's not an ex- immediate acceleration and burst guy. You know, he's one of those guys that it, it, it builds up. He, he gets downfield. It takes time him he's not he's not say like obj or Schwartz, who is just like gone so right. yeah i mean yeah he can help in the vertical game but it, it's a different it's a different look it's not that just immediate explosive you know quick hit gone speed but right you know he's a guy who can play on the other side and he can give you opportunities due to the speed and the quickness that he's shown getting experience the second season is going to help all right well thank you sir um Another news item. Uh, as well, we let me for- let me say something here for you. Yeah, um, you talk about Nats, and I know that Pryfer really likes him. And last year, he was going to be involved in the offense. I think he's going to have an uphill battle to make the team. Just my opinion, because you brought in Schwartz to be that gadget play. In my opinion, the the jet sweep guy, mm-hmm. the stretch the field guy. You draft him in the third round, and Demetric Felton last week, he was with the wide receivers throughout that OTA when I was there. And I realized that's because Schwartz was not there and they didn't really have any receivers, but they look at him. I saw going in the draft, he was ranked as the 26th uh, best wide receiver by Dane Brugler. And then Mm -hmm. another one, our lads had him as like 30th running back. So, you know, if if he can do the returning kicks, punts, running back, wide receiver, I think that that would be, you know, take the place of a guy coming off the ACL. Yep, and, right. uh, you know, I think Natson has a role, but he's going to have to have a heck of a preseason to show that he can that he can stick because you got six returning wide receivers counting Natson, but you drafted Schwartz and you added Felton. So I don't see him taking seven. And so I think it's going to ultimately in the roster come down to Schwartz taking his spot, knowing they got Felton also is going to take a, a versatile spot as well as a kicker punt returner. So here's the thing with Felton that we talked about immediately upon his selection Um, that day and within the, 48 hours after that, is that everybody was so enamored because they said he's a running back. Nah, this guy is not just a running back. This guy is a guy who's going to be able to go in the slot. He's going to be able to move out. He's going to do a lot of things and give you capabilities and ability that you really didn't see within this offense a season ago. It's just finding the place, finding the time, and when it's going to happen. It's going to happen in time. It's just it may not be today. So he's going to have to be a guy that's going to have to excel in specials. He may have to get into the return game. But – 
he's going to be a Cleveland Brown unless something goes wrong where he's unable to play in 2021. It's going to be very, very interesting to watch during uh, training camp, especially in the preseason, as you mentioned, Fred, uh, to see what shakes out there. And uh, uh, I'm, I'm very interested in, in getting a look at Felton and, and seeing what he has. Um, Lane, another question for you. Um, I linked an article in the Newswire today from an old friend of ours who uh, now writes for Bleacher Report. And he uh, outlined the top uh, training camp battles that he expects to see uh, this year. And one of the ones he mentioned is Greedy Williams and Greg Newsom. Uh, mm-hmm. will be one of the best battles in training camp. Uh, do you see it that way? Or do you think with Joe Wood's defense that, um, you know, first or second on the depth chart at the second outside corner position doesn't mean that much? Um, I, don't, I don't think it's going to be a huge thing when you get into who's starting, but, you know, it's just going to come down to how quickly Greg Newsom picks up the uh, defense and, you know, how well he performs in camp, and he's going to have a lot of challenges. There's some guys who can who can play. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see what happens. It's going to be interesting to see what happens when the pads are on and Greedy Williams has to hit somebody. Right. It's just, right. You know, there's a lot of unknowns there. But, yeah, that's an interesting and intriguing training camp battle that's definitely going to come to the forefront. Because when you draft right. a guy where, where they select a Newsom, you know, you expect to get him on the field. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Expect him to be uh, right up there when it comes to his starting job. Uh, Last news item, uh, Julio Jones traded for a second and a fourth round pick next year to the Titans. Uh, Some people, uh, mostly people in New York, uh, are trying to compare this to the Odell Beckham deal and say, hey, we got a steal for... Uh, Odell Beckham compared to what they got for Julio Jones. Fred, I'll just ask you, do you think that's a a fair comparison at all? Well, I think it's a different scenario. I mean, there was was some pretty good value in players. I mean, Jabril Peppers was a pretty good player, first-round pick with the Browns, and the Browns gave up a first-round pick to get him. Um, I think that it's more of a matter of the Falcons giving up a $23 million a year salary and, and rebuilding. I think it's a strange fit. I don't look at Tennessee as a wide open, you know, passing offense. Maybe they'll change, you know, with Tannehill, but they seem to be more of a ground and pound with Derrick Henry. And Mm. so I, I don't really like that. He's in the AFC. I think that, moves the Titans a little more into the arena. But, um, yeah, I think it's a little strange, but I don't think it's going to make as big a difference. I don't look at Tannehill as the type of quarterback even Matt Ryan is. I mean, I don't know if Tannehill – I still am not totally sold on him as a down-the-field passer, but maybe I'm wrong there. Uh, Lane, uh – Similar question to you about uh, whether the trades are comparable at all. And just to pick up on Fred's point, you know, will Tannehill be able to take advantage of Browns and and uh, uh, Jones, uh, in your opinion? Well, look at it this way. Julio Jones is 32 years old and he has a size of a contract to deal with. Guy coming off injury, Odell Beckham, coming off injury from the New York Giants. You know, had a size of a contract, much younger. Odell Beckham hasn't stayed healthy and got to see if Julio Jones can stay healthy. I'd, I'd much rather see Julio Jones in Tennessee than I would say Baltimore. So right. you know, <laughs> as far as Cleveland's concerned, it's a win. Right. Yeah. And we don't have to face him this year. I know Pittsburgh does. Uh, not sure if Baltimore has to face him this year. Uh, so not our problem, at least for now. Right. Uh, go ahead. No, I'm. that's just exactly what it is. Right, exactly. Um, now, we've got a bunch of questions we brought from ATI. We also got a bunch of questions in the chat room. Uh, I'm going to sort of bounce back and forth. I do want to say I got a very nice email from Jim C., uh, who wants us to walk through uh, the season schedule and declare our winners and losers, you know, our you know sort of wild guesses at, you know, which games will win, which games will lose with a little bit of a twist. Uh, I don't think we'll be able to get to that tonight, but uh, Jim, if you're watching, uh, uh, I'm definitely going to keep that alive for a future show. 
but in the meantime, let's dive into some of the questions. Um, DF Sports writes in the chat room, what do you all think of the difference between this year's offense and last year's offense will be given the fact that Baker was way more efficient in the back half of the year uh, as well as getting guys back? So, uh, Fred, you touched on this a little bit earlier. Uh, is Baker's uh, being comfortable with the system the big difference there, or uh, are you looking at other factors? Well, I think that's the number one. Uh, yeah, he hasn't had the same coach. He hasn't had the same offensive coordinator. He hasn't had the same system coming back. This is the first time. And really, the second half of last season when he started really clicking, I think he had a grasp of it. Stefanski said that was more what he would attribute the success, not that Odell Beckham wasn't on the field. And so I just think his familiarity with the players, with the system, and everybody coming back should put him way ahead of the schedule. I just look at Josh Allen. I'm not comparing Mayfield with Allen, but a lot of people, his rookie year, same year as Mayfield, had questions. Was this guy even any good? Was he over his head? And then last year he was being talked about as an MVP candidate. He was in his third year with the same coach, the same system. So do I expect Mayfield to, you know, flourish to that degree? I don't know. We'll see. But I think that it will go a long way having the same coach, the same offensive coordinator, the same system, the same players, the same offensive line. He knows where they're going to be. And that will bode well for everyone. And, you know, a lot of the, uh, Lane, the, the, a lot of the cast is back. Uh, and they, they say if you're not moving forward, you're uh, moving backwards. Uh, but the Browns did add some offensive weapons this year. Uh, do you think that, you know, uh, Felton and Schwartz and, and uh, so forth are going to be a difference? Or do you think the biggest difference is going to be Mayfield being comfortable in the system? Well, I believe that any time you got a quarterback who gets to play in the system for a second year, like Fred was talking about, and, you know, it's huge. I mean, this guy has had nothing but instability surrounding him, you know, since he came to Cleveland. So it's good to see him be able to, to sit down and go through an offseason knowing exactly where you're at and what you're going to be, and it's just going to be the evolution of the, the Browns' offense and what you've seen in the second half of the season ago when they really streamlined a few things and worked on a few things that Baker liked and did best. And they became very proficient at doing those things. So, you know, just adding the influx of talent that they have and, you know, hopefully getting a healthy OBJ and add more speed, you know, you, you expect things to improve. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens when we get into late July and they get on the practice field. Absolutely. I, I, I say it nearly every week, but I am so excited to see OBJ uh, in that offense this year with Baker being more comfortable with the second year of the offense just to see what he can do uh, if he's all the way back from his ACL or even close to being back from his ACL. It's going to be as it's going to be as simple as if OBJ is healthy and he's OBJ, the guy that he can be. Everybody else is going to be better around him. Jarvis Landry is going to be more efficient. Austin Hooper is going to have a bigger year. Everything's clicks if you get that dynamic back out there doing what he can do. Right. Right. Makes total sense. Fred, we got a question for you in the chat room. This comes from Walt Stillwell. And he says he'd like to ask you about player and coach media sessions. Is it predetermined who gets to ask questions and how many? Interesting question. Uh, I've never seen anything written down about it, but <laughs> you're the man. You tell us. No, I mean, in this new era of Zoom, which we've done the last year, little over a year all last off season and and then through now and as far as I know they're going to keep doing the zoom the way it works is we're all in there and you raise your hand and then moderators one of the PR guys he calls on you they open your your little spot your mic and you can ask a question and then when your question's over they mute you and um you know, unless you say the new trick is I have two questions. I have three <laughs> questions, you know, and I don't do that too much. But 
there's 30 to 40 people on those calls. And, and usually, you know, there's about 10 to 12 of the beat writers asking questions and they kind of go through, there's a little bit of a pecking order of seniority and a, and a few things like that. There's many times I have my hand up and they don't get to me depending on the time, but that's how it works is, is yeah, there's, it's just raise your hand. Now in the media room, we, it's more of a blurred out. I actually like the raise your hand with the zoom thing mm -hmm. because there's order in the media room. It's just a free for all. And I cannot cut off. They always cut off the coach or the guy talking right near the end. And then they call on them. I cannot do that. I'm too polite. And so by the time mm -hmm. they end and I start asking my question, somebody else is already doing it. And so that that's kind of how it works. I would like in the NBA, you raise your hand and they call on you. I don't know what they do with the Indians. The Cavs raise a hand, but the Browns has always been a free for all. You just blurt out your questions unless you're on the zoom calls. The only question I have, I have for Fred is, is that when they open up the media room again, how hard is it going to be for you to find your seat? Because undoubtedly it's going to get moved again. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's been, I don't think I've been in there. In fact, when Stefanski was hired, we that was at First Energy Stadium. And so I haven't been in there since the end of the 19, you know, at the end when Freddie Kitchen's tenure was over and John Dorsey. So, yeah, I don't know. The, the, even on a week-to-week -week basis in the media room, our stuff was rearranged because they would use that, the Browns, as a meeting room for whatever. They got so many hundreds of people that work in that building. You know, they always had meetings and you would get your stuff all moved around. But, yeah, I have no idea. You'll just see if the name tag's still there. You may be sitting on the counter next to the refrigerator before it's all said and done. Yeah, I just keep going down the list for sure. <laughs> oh, well. Um, I, I remember when I went into the media room, when I tried to, you know, do some on-site coverage, I was very bad at it. And one of the reasons I was bad at it is because of what you mentioned, Fred, that it's uh, really the domain of the rudest, you know, who can shout out their questions or over-talk other people or whatever. But uh, – uh, it wasn't something that played to my strengths, that's for sure. Um, one of the things where we're not going to see this year, is, uh, I'm guessing, uh, are locker room interviews. Uh, because it does seem like with COVID, those got locked down. And I haven't heard anything yet about them opening up locker rooms for people. Uh, and in fact, I've read a couple of different articles suggesting that uh, the locker room is going to be off limits in the future. Have you heard anything about that at all, Fred? No, but they're they're continuing to use this COVID as uh, they love it to keep the access. To, I mean, you know, in all seriousness, I think that it's easier for the organization to just say, hey, Baker Mayfield's going to talk tomorrow on Zoom at 10 o'clock. Tune in if you want to hear it. And that's it. You know, you don't have any, you know, that's your only chance to even have interaction. I know last week, last Wednesday was supposed to be the Indians home opener where they opened up to the fans. It got rained out, but potentially mm -hmm. they could have had 40,000 people there without masks side by side watching the right. game. Meanwhile, we're in Berea outside 150 yards from the players and we all had to wear our masks. And right. so... That tells you, and that's how it is to Mora too, you know, right. is that they have, they, the media has been tiered as what's called tier three. That means you, you can only be around players or coaches if you're tier one or tier two. And all those are, are the coaches and the players. Tier three is not allowed in the building. So if they don't change this, we're not even going to be in the building again this year. So I think they are trying. I have heard from pretty high up in the pro football writers that no press box availability unless you've been vaccinated. 
And really? that's that's causing a problem already with some of the media because there's some that have had COVID or just do not want to get that done. And and I know for a fact that and so there's some battles there. And I don't and I think the NFL is going to just they like this limited access, you know, mm-hmm. and think about this. You're going to have 70, 80,000 people at the Browns game. Same thing watching without mask and unvaccinated or whatever. And yet the media can't watch the game from the press box unless they're fully vaccinated. I mean, I don't even understand why you couldn't wear a mask, you know, so, you know, it's, there's some battles right now, you know, going on behind the scenes there. And I don't know if they're going to win it. They like that restriction as it was last year. And my, my feeling is when you lose something, you probably never get it back. Right. You know, it's, it's right. all a control thing. They I mean, they, they want to control it. They want to be able to minimize the opportunity to speak to players. You know, it's, it's just an opportunity that they're going to continue to use this thing, you know, as long as possible until it's really not an issue anymore. I mean, it's the same thing going in the locker room. I mean, plenty of times going in the locker room and talking to the players when you get your best stuff. Right, you don't have that opportunity, and you're going to have people saying, "Oh, they're they're naked, or they're in the shower." You're not interviewing somebody in the shower. <laughs> no, and you know, to to that point is in the locker room. It used to be you could wander around and get to know some of the guys, and that's where you'd get a little bit some sources and things like that. But now what they've done is pretty much make a guy available, like Baker Mayfield. He's only available on Wednesday, and. Right. They've conditioned the players that, oh, I'm available. It used to be you could go up to the locker room individually, you know, yep. and talk to the guy. Now they run you off, you know. Oh, you can't talk because I already talked on Wednesday. I don't talk except on Wednesday. And so everybody's getting the same information now. It's just controlling the narrative, so to say. When OBJ right. does his once a week, everybody's around him and you have to choose do I do him or do I go and walk around the locker room and try to talk to somebody you know on the side and so that's that's made it tougher but yeah I don't even know if they're gonna we're gonna see that this year you know it's like it just seems like and it helps the team it helps clevelandbrowns.com because you they have more access in-house obviously to mm-hmm. break news and so forth. And so it just hurts the outsiders. Interesting. Interesting. Well, we'll see. Uh, we'll track the developments of that. Uh, I write about it in the Newswire from time to time uh, about uh, sort of the interaction between the media and all NFL clubs, uh, not specifically the Cleveland Browns. Uh, let's get back to football. Uh, let's uh, I got to scroll up on my uh, chat chat list here. Uh Sean B. asked about Malik McDowell and his injury status and asked how his injury status will affect his chances of making the roster. Have you heard anything on this lane at all regarding Malik McDowell? All I know is that they've been presently surprised with him up to this point. As far as any injury issue or anything he's got going on, I really can't speak on that. So that's pretty much all I got on him. All right. Fair enough. Uh, we have a, another point that was made by DF Sports, and he says that the Browns should draft a young stud receiver and move on from Beckham or Landry. Uh, I'm presuming this is next year's draft in terms of Garrett Wilson being an example there. Uh, I'm not sure Garrett Wilson is going to be available where they pick. I really like Garrett Wilson. But, Fred, do you think that's the answer? you think the Browns are going to have to get somebody young and move on at some point? Well, I think it's all about – Donovan Peoples-Jones, Kadaro Hodge, Richard Higgins, Anthony Schwartz, and how those guys emerge if they feel comfortable. I mean, we talked earlier about the receiving core. I think part of the downplay in the ranking is because behind Landry and Beckham, you really don't know what you have. You have a lot of, eh, maybe some potential with, People's Jones Higgins always is kind of has an asterisk beside him. You know, he produces, but yet he never really gets a lot of love around the country. And so I just think that they're going to have a lot of it's going to depend on Schwartz 
and how they feel like, is he ready to step into a prime role? Is Peoples Jones ready to step into a prime role? I don't know if Higgins will be around after this year. He keeps doing the one, one by one year deal. So I think a lot of it's the guys behind Landry and Beckham and how the team does. I mean, I think it's obviously that they're committed to him this year because they didn't want to break up the band. They have the starting 11 wide, the starting 11 on offense back for the first time in that I can ever remember in my lifetime, at least covering the team. There's always a change somewhere, but they have all 11 starters. So they have continuity, same Mm -hmm. system. So, yeah, I think that it's all on these guys. They're trying to develop behind them and you'd be foolish to move on from somebody until you got somebody better. You know, everybody wants to move on. That's one of the criticisms I had with Sheldon Richardson is until you know you got somebody better, why move on from him? Now they might feel that they've added Tommy Togiai and, and Malik McDowell and, and a couple guys like that, but you don't know what you have in them. And so same way with the wide receiver, don't move on from someone till you have a good replacement or, or at least as good of a value. I I saw the Browns struggle with that, with uh, head coaches. It would fire head coaches before they knew who was going to replace them. And, wound up settling for uh, somebody Mike no one Patton. else would hire. Well, I'm yeah. going to be curious to see if we get the same question. If Beckham goes for 1,300, Landry goes for 1,000, mm-hmm. they haul in, say, 15 touchdowns, and the Browns are you know, in the AFC Championship for the Super Bowl. We're going to have the same question? Yeah. <laughs> Good. That's appropriate. Um, then, then if you are the Browns, you're going to move off these guys after achieving that. So, you know, it's, it's right. way too early. Yeah, Norman makes the point that future drafts can be used to uh, find talent to supplant them, but there's also the option of contract restructure uh, if things go well uh, with the uh, with the Browns this year, and you don't want to move off of these guys. Maybe you can talk to them about uh, how their contracts are structured if they want to stay together and compete for a Super Bowl. Um, let's go to a question from Brandon. He says, between OBJ and Clowney, who has to have the better season – in order for the Browns to win the AFC. So I guess he's asking really which which of those two is it more crucial to have a great season from? Uh, Fred, I'll start with you. Well, I don't know. I don't know if they have to have a, a, a great season from either one, but I think on defense you have Tack McKinley, who they're pretty high on. I would think that between Clowney and McKinley, if they can just replace the production – of Olivier Vernon. He had nine sacks and, you know, and was pretty involved in the situation. Um, Beckham, there hasn't really shown that there can be that deep, deep uh, stretching the field type guy. You're hoping Schwartz can be that guy. But I would think that Beckham, you know, might be more in line to have to have a bigger season. But I think really they proved last year they can win without they didn't have any of these guys, you know, and they did pretty well. So I think it's just would be a feather in the cap, you know, if Beckham can come back and add another dimension. And obviously if Clowney can get double digit sacks, I mean, that means Miles Garrett's probably tearing it up on the other side. So I think it all, you know, is pretty valuable. Um, but, you know, if I had to pick one, I'd say Beckham. What about you, Lane? Any thoughts on that question? I think Fred covered the entire enchilada there. Uh, <laughs> there's nothing the really to say. All right. Fair enough. Uh, then I will ask you uh, about Forbes and Hudson uh, on the offensive line. Where do you see those guys playing? That's a question from Walt. And again, who are That's you throwing you. this at? It's for you, Lane. I always look at Hudson. I mean, you know, we talked about him when he was drafted. Night he was drafted, and then you know, the two days following, you know, very heavy-handed, just strong offensive lineman tackle who was a defensive player. You know, he plays with aggression. He has skills. You got Bill Callahan working with him. If he puts his seal of approval on selecting this guy, he sees what the, the skills that this guy has. Thing is, is that there's some tape of him playing right tackle, and I thought he actually looked a little better in right tackle than he did left. 
I'm thinking a guy you can play probably at either side as a swing tackle. You may even be able to slide him inside once he gains a little bit of experience. As far as Drew Forbes is interesting, because a season ago, you know, it was me, it was either him or Wyatt Teller. That was the two guys that Bill Callahan had targeted. One of these two guys was going to win that right guard job, and that was it. Well, we've seen what happened. Wyatt Teller won the job. You know, Drew Forbes opted out. You know, we're back in the same spot. Drew Forbes is a guy who can play the interior line, and he can play outside a tackle, right tackle. So it's really going to come down to what we see happen with contracts, injury, you know, and whatnot going forward with this team. But you got two guys there that have ability that could be what your future looking forward for the Browns is. All right. Fair enough. Uh, I am going to go back to some questions from uh, Ask the Insiders. JTom23 asks, Barry, serious question. This isn't football related, so if it isn't answered, I understand. But what is your day-to-day like in reference to managing the website and forums? And uh, I, I guess it's one thing before the drinking and another thing after the drinking begins. But by and large, it's just total chaos. Um, you know, just reacting to uh, the news that's going on, just reacting to issues that come up, you know, technical issues, customer support issues, stuff like that. Uh, what I can tell you is that I stay really, really freaking busy uh, uh, running the site. And I had no idea how I, how I did it while I was still work, working another job. Uh, but thanks for your question. Uh, it's uh, uh, <laughs> if I got into details, it would <laughs> bore you stiff. <laughs> but uh, that's a fairly accurate uh, representation of what I do. Um Let's go uh, back to uh, Fred here. Another question from J.C. Thomas. Uh, he asks, uh, I guess this is a question everybody wants to know, will Baker become an elite quarterback this year? I guess it depends on how you define elite, but let's say, you know, will people start considering him as a top five guy, for example, by the end of the year, in your opinion? I don't know about top five, but I know that if he wins, he will – he will gravitate to the top. And um, if I, in my projection for this year on the quarterbacks on Mayfield particular, when I looked back at his games, some of his best games were games. He was like 12 of 18, 200 yards, two touchdowns, no interceptions. The games that he had 400 yards, which weren't many weren't really necessary. Good games. I think he is somebody that, you know, is not a game manager, but he when when need be, he has shown he can win a game on his own. And he did that with the Bengals. That was the first game I remember that he brought him back with a game-winning touch. He threw it to Peoples-Jones with like 11 seconds to go in the game. And there were some questions. Can Mayfield lead a team down the field to win a game? And so I think those type things – more so you win, you get, you're going to get, you know, notice. But I think that the second half of the year, when you look at his numbers about the mid season, if you just look at statistical ranking, he was somewhere like ranked 30th in quarterback rating. And he finished Mm -hmm. the season 15th to go from 30th to 15th in the final eight games was a monumental jump. And I think right. a lot of it was because he didn't turn the ball over. He had like 11 touchdowns. That's not a lot, but only one interception. So that's what, if he can take care of the ball, he seems to to really all the way around, everything goes well. And I think that's how it is with a lot of quarterbacks. But he's going to have body statistics because this offense isn't set up to have to go for 400 yards you know, throwing every week like an Aaron Rodgers Mm -hmm. does. Right. Absolutely. You know, to a certain degree, uh, uh, he may not be considered to be elite because the team runs the ball so effectively and and not everything's on his shoulders. Uh, Lane, um, the, uh, I I saw recently a uh, article where somebody was essentially saying that they think that Baker Mayfield is the most underrated MVP uh, bet in the league uh, that you know he's fairly far down the list mm-hmm. on a team like the Browns. Do you see Baker having the potential of running an MVP? You know, should they go on a Super Bowl run, or uh, 
is, uh, you know, sort of as Fred indicated, so much of the offense run through Chubb and, and, and so on and so forth. Well, it's like anything else. Everybody gets wrapped up in numbers. And, you know, what it comes down to is, you know, Baker Mayfield may be a guy who completes 65% of his passes and throws 30 touchdowns and in, in six picks, and it leads his team to the Super Bowl. So his numbers may not he may not have the yardage or the completions or, you know, all that BS that everybody wants to get themselves wrapped up on. So, yeah, I can see why that he's not really a MVP favorite, but the potential is there also because this offense is going to evolve and they're going to throw the ball a little bit more than they did the first half of a season ago. You know, so the chances there. Plus, in Cleveland, there hasn't been any quarterback that hasn't been labeled elite at some point. So, you know, maybe, maybe this is Baker's time. <laughs> All right. Fair enough. Um, got a question from JT Tom in uh, the uh, Ask the Insiders forum. And uh, I'll point this one to you again, Lane. Uh, he's asking with Denzel's injury history, do you think the Browns will look to extend him uh, maybe beyond one or two years? Do you think that the Browns are willing to chance a long-term contract for uh, Denzel Ward? I think if they intend on retaining him, they're going to have to give him a contract longer than one or two years. I don't think he's going to be very receptive to a real short deal like that. So, no, I don't think it's going to happen. I think it's going to have to be that that four-year type money. And, uh, you know, his injury history, while concerning, he has proven to be a very, very good cover cornerback for the Cleveland Browns. And, I mean, it's hard to give away talent like that. So it's going to be interesting to see how it falls with dollars and cents. Absolutely. Uh, Fred, this is about the time of year where you start seeing some contract extensions or at least discussions on contract extensions start up. Uh, If you had to pick one player that you wanted to get done this year before the season starts, uh, who would that player be? Probably I would say Nick Chubb, but I think that, I think that they, if they're talking to him, I think that they can, get something done with him. I just feel like with his demeanor and, and the way he approaches the game, but I would, I would say Chubb or Wyatt Teller. I would, I don't really want those guys to get to free agency because things get crazy. Usually when they get to free agency, they're gone. Somebody blows you away and, and they can't turn it down. So I think there's time with Denzel Ward. I think there's time with Mayfield. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if any of them, the way Andrew Barry has talked about Denzel Ward, Nick Chubb, Baker Mayfield is the same way he talked about Miles Garrett before he got his extension last summer. I think he's a straight shooter, and I don't think he's just blowing smoke, you know, when he says we we really want to retain him and plan to. So they see him in the future. I think he'll find a way to get things done. Um, they still have like the fourth most salary cap available according to over the cap I don't know if he just likes to always see his the Browns up there at the top but you know what it it shows they still have about 20 million so I think they got some things in the offing and yeah I think that he's going to get some things done he's not going to just leave it to chance Lane let's talk about uh Wyatt Teller Mm -hmm. um obviously breakout season last year uh, tremendous work uh, done throughout the season by Teller. Uh, but you've got an offensive line there, which is uh, has a lot of money invested in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's your view of whether Wyatt Teller is a long-term piece here in Cleveland? Uh, is he a guy that you want to sign to a big contract extension, or would you want to perhaps spend that money somewhere else? Well, let's look at it this way. You're looking at a guy who's coming off a fantastic 2020 season. If he has the same type of season in 2021, he is going to be a very expensive proposition for you to try to maintain. And you got to look at some of the talent and what the Browns are doing in the depth department on the offensive line to, you know, potentially fill that role if it comes to that. Because, you know, offensive linemen you know, in this game anymore are not cheap. And you right. Can, you can look at his situation. You can say, I can ink him and, you know, maybe I can you know, release a J.C. Treader or somebody and, recoup some savings there you can drop money from your wide receiver group but the only problem is going to come down to is that you still have four contracts that you have to get done and they're all going to be big money so it's going to be interesting to see how they go with that but as Fred said Andrew Barry's a very he's an aggressive proactive guy 
And you can bet that there's been some chatter already. So let's just see where it goes once it gets hot outside. I'll I'll throw in this two cents is that Lane touched on it, but I would much rather take that 11, 12 million that you're giving to a 30 something JC Treader and and put it into a younger, you know, guy like Teller, you know, and I'm not trying to dismiss Treader, but you have a Nick Harris you drafted and are grooming. Um you know, as they look at this, Andrew Barry really, really seems to value offensive line. If you look last year, the first two moves he made was to get Jack Conklin and draft Jedrick Wills when it came to two tackles. And so I think that, I mean, why would you let a guy walk hoping that Drew Forbes is as good as he is or, or Hudson or something I'm saying if you're sold that he's the real deal, you got a young guy keeping. All right. Uh, this is your last chance if you're in the chat room, if you got a question for the game, uh, for us to attack it. Uh, we've got about uh, four minutes left in the broadcast, so we'll get to everything that we possibly can. Uh, another question that came in from Assey Insiders. Uh, Fred, I'll start with you. Uh, the question is, in the event that we have three qualities starting outside corners in Greedy, Denzel, and Greg, will that mean splitting snaps, disguised looks, etc.? I mean, how do you ha- manage having that many good corners without ticking one off? You never have enough, and you're going to be playing three out there in Troy Hill. Last year, I mean, it's a given, in my opinion, that Denzel Ward's going to miss some games, Greedy Williams is going to miss some games, and I don't know about Newsom, but if Denzel Ward's out, you got Greg Newsom, Greedy Williams, and Troy Hill. If Greedy Williams is out, you got Greg Newsom, Denzel Ward. You got the other three. That is why you got four good players. And like Lane said earlier, until Greedy gets hurt, you don't even know what you got there. So hopefully you got four quality corners, three on the outside, and I'm going to you know, find a way to use them all, you know, get them on the field, keep them fresh. And in a passing league like this, I don't think you have enough of them. You don't want Robert Jackson out there, you know, in the playoffs. You don't want MJ Stewart in the playoffs. Your sixth, seventh corner, you want one of your pro bowl type players. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, I I still hear chatter from fans about uh, getting a veteran quarterback. Obviously you've got, Newsom, who's brand new. You've got Williams, who didn't blow people away when he was able to play his first year. Lane, if uh, you were Andrew Barry, are you looking at some of these veterans who uh, are still remain available, some quality veterans out there, uh, or are you just waiting for the price to drop? If the right guy's there for the right price, then you have nothing to lose by looking at him or bringing somebody in like that. You know, as, as Fred said, you don't have enough good corners in the National Football League. We've seen that a season ago with this Cleveland defense, and you don't want to see it happen in 2021. So the opportunity presents itself that fits within the realm of what you were willing to pay. You have to look at it strongly. All right. Uh, one final question. This comes from uh, Norman uh, from about half an hour ago. Uh, he says it's a way too early projection, but who do you think lines up on defense if the Browns use a four-two-five alignment? Let's, you know, since we probably don't have time to cover all eleven starting positions, uh, we can certainly do that in the uh, coming weeks. Let's just talk about linebacker, uh, Fred. Who do you think are uh, the two in that four-two-five alignment uh, if we go with something like that? Anthony Walker and JOK. Yep. Yeah, I had a sense that was going to be the answer. Uh, one guy who's a run stopper and another guy who can wander all over the field uh, would be very interesting. Uh, let's talk about the four up front. Uh, Lane, uh, who do you think the four starters up front would be if they're in that alignment? Garrett, Clowney, Jackson, Billings. Makes total sense. And either of you worried about uh, Andrew Billings showing up a, a little bit bigger than uh, uh, than might be expected? Uh, Fred, we'll start with you. No, I didn't see him on the field last year. Just some pictures with the Bengals. But he has put on some weight 
You know, he looks a very – he was the biggest player I think I saw in the defense, especially on that group. Um, I'm sure that now that he'll be under a dietitian and back in the building as they – you know, if he was in now, I think they're going to probably get him into football. When you haven't played football and you're a young man, it's hard to keep weight off anyway. But I'm just guessing he weighs more than he did a year ago. He 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 was filling out that ninety nine. He was using all the <laughs> all the fabric. Lane, you have any thoughts? No on disrespect. That? I'm just saying. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. oh he's gonna he's gonna have plenty of opportunity to put work in here in the next five weeks. So yeah, I'm not yep. too concerned about it now. Now when you go for the physical when you start training camp and you know the guy's got to pass a test and if he can't pass that then you start getting a little worried. But now today, no, not yet. All right. The Browns need any help on uh, understanding the effects of a bourbon and ho-ho diet. I'm your guy. Uh, until then, we are going to wrap up and we are going to come back next week with another edition of OBR Weekly. Thanks to everybody showing up. Thanks to the folks in the chat room for all your questions. We'll see you next Tuesday. Thank you. Later.